Our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel of Mark. We read the story of Jesus and his disciples immediately following the event where he has healed a man of blindness. Let us listen now for a word from God, hearing these verses, beginning with the 27th verse from the 8th chapter of Mark. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? The disciples replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him, and then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. Jesus spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Friends, these too are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled, A Theory of Everything. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we pray that you might send your spirit now that it might dwell within us, that it might stir within us. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might not just affect us momentarily, but impact everything about us. We pray these things, O God, for you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. According to Wikipedia, a theory of everything is a hypothetical, single, all-encompassing, coherent, theoretical framework of physics that fully explains and links together all physical aspects of the universe. Finding a theory of everything, it continues, is one of the major unsolved problems in physics. 
Over the past few centuries, two theoretical frameworks have been developed that, as a whole, most closely resemble a theory of everything. These two theories upon which all modern physics rests are general relativity and quantum field theory. This is not a sermon about general relativity or quantum field theory, but it is a sermon about the ways that I think our passage today points us towards what might be best described as the gospel's theory of everything. Contained within a response to a simple question, who do you say that I am? Jesus reveals all that we really need to know. Now, poor Peter. It's always poor Peter. Peter thinks he answers correctly here. You are the Messiah, he says. But notice the placement of Peter's answer, what it comes before. Peter declares Jesus as Messiah before the verses where Jesus describes for the first time in Mark's gospel that the Messiah, the Son of Man, must suffer and be rejected and die before he rises. Peter, when he proclaims Jesus as Messiah, is doing it then from the traditional understanding of Messiahship in the Jewish faith. You see, in the Jewish tradition, the title Messiah, up until Jesus, has been associated with an anointed king, with a royal figure who was understood to be the one that would come to free Israel from its Gentile oppressors, the Roman conquerors, in other words, for Peter. The Messiah was one who would come to purify the Israelite people, to restore Israel's independence and glory. So when Jesus gets to that part where he explains to Peter that actually the Messiah must suffer and be rejected and die, Peter is upset because that goes against everything he has understood the Messiah to be. And he does what is perhaps one of the bravest or stupidest things in all of the Bible. He pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. He rebukes him. Because after all, what good is a dead Messiah? Is that not similar to our own understanding of Messiahship? Is that not similar to our own thinking about who we want our Messiah to be? We want a Savior who is strong and powerful. A Savior who comes to restore us to greatness and glory who comes to defeat our enemies, be they real or imagined, a Savior who will fill our bank accounts and keep us and those we love safe from any and all harm. We want a Savior who promises us days that are the opposite of what Jesus describes here, days that are free of suffering and rejection and death. And yet Jesus, with his words here, turns it all upside down. Whoever wants to be my disciple, he says, must deny themselves. Whoever wants to be my disciple must take up a cross, the most humiliating form of execution one could think of in the ancient world. 
Whoever wants to be my disciple must follow, he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. I think in those words of Jesus, we find the gospel's theory of everything. We find the not-so-hypothetical, all-encompassing framework that links together all of the universe from the furthest cosmos to the hairs on our head. The theory of everything, according to the gospel, is this, that the more we give, the more we receive. The more we seek to be a friend, the more friends we discover, and the more we love, the more we are loved in return. Is that not a beautiful theory of everything? And yet it is a theory that is so hard, so very, very hard to live out. Fred Craddock, that giant, that scion of 20th century Christian preaching, once told the autobiographical story of a time when he was in graduate school in the 1960s at Vanderbilt Divinity School. Vanderbilt, by the way, almost beat Notre Dame yesterday, (laughs) which for a Vanderbilt fan like myself is almost as good as a win. Craddock, though, he tells the story of a time in the 1960s when he was studying for his Ph.D. at Vanderbilt. He had left his family and children in the small parish church manse that he served in Middle Tennessee and moved temporarily into a small room around the corner from the Divinity School. He was studying for those comprehensive exams that every PhD student must face. It's a make it or break it time. It can stop you dead in your tracks after years of study. He describes in this story how every night during that period of studying around 11.30 or 12, he would go to a little all-night diner, no tables, just stools. He would step in and every night he would have the same thing, a grilled cheese and a cup of coffee as a break from his studies. Craddock writes, it was the same every night. The fellow behind the counter at the grill knew when I walked in to prepare a grilled cheese and a cup of coffee. He'd give me a refill. Sometimes he would come again and give me another refill. In those days, I joined the men of the night there hovering over our coffee, still thinking about my own possible questions on the New Testament oral exams. One of those nights, Craddock remembers he walked in and there was a man there who had not been served, a man he had never seen before. Craddock says, I had been waited on that night. I'd had a refill and so had the others. But the man who had walked in had not been served. Then finally, the man behind the counter went to that man at the end of the counter and said to him, what do you want? The man at the end of the counter was an old, gray-haired, black man. Whatever the man said, the fellow went to the grill, scooped up a little patty off the back of the grill, and put it on a piece of bread without condiments and without a napkin. The cook handed it to the man who gave him some money and then went out the side door by the garbage can and out onto the street. 
That old, gray-haired black man sat on the curb with the 18-wheelers of the night, Craddock says, with the salt and pepper from the street, the only things to season his sandwich. Craddock then remembers this. He remembers how he didn't say a thing. I did not reprimand, he says. I did not protest. I did not witness to the cook that night. Nor did I go out and sit beside the man on the curb on the edge. I didn't do anything, Craddock said. I was thinking about the questions coming up on the New Testament exam. And I left the little place, he concludes. I went up the hill back to my room to resume my studies. And off in the distance, I heard the cock crow. Peter, the Peter of our story today, he will hear the cock crow the third time he denies this Jesus the third time he fails to follow where this Jesus leads. It's hard. It's hard to live this theory of everything. Even when we know the right answer, it's hard to live it out. Which is probably why the gospel's theory of everything feels so hypothetical to so many of us, because there's no getting around the fact that it requires risk. It requires vulnerability. It requires sacrifice. To follow the kind of Messiah who Jesus is means risking speaking out when the world offers us Messiahs who stand in direct opposition to the one who beckons us to follow. The one who calls us to love our neighbor, all of them, the one who tells us that the first in this world will be the last in the world to come, and the last in this world, the poor, the widow, the downtrodden, the orphan, they will be the first. To follow the kind of Messiah who Jesus is means witnessing to a love that really is for all God's children, a love capable of claiming that old man eating his charred sandwich on a curb and a love capable too of redeeming the man who walked back up the hill to follow the kind of messiah jesus is means being vulnerable by risking entering into others lives and all the messes that you will find in them following jesus means living out the gospel that he preaches, and that he preached. Who do you say that I am, Jesus asks. I think if we listen close enough, we'll hear the Spirit whispering the answer this day. Who do you think I am? I'm the chaplain whose pager goes off in the middle of the night, who walks into that dark hospital room where young parents wear faces that are as scared as they are sad, holding a child who did not make it. 
I'm the chaplain who walks to those parents and takes the tears off of each of their cheeks and gently touches the head of that child, claiming it as a child of God. Who do you say that I am? I am the one who shows up with gloves and a bucket the day after the storm. I'm the attorney who works long hours at the office for my corporate clients and then comes home and works long hours at night seeking to connect immigrant parents with their their children, navigating the web of bureaucracy. I'm the janitor in the underfunded and overcrowded inner city school who spends just a few extra minutes every night cleaning those rooms because I know the children who will show up the next day are already fighting such an uphill battle. And if a little cleaner room can give them one foot more, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm the hospice nurse who calls two families in one night to tell them they have lost their loved ones. I'm the volunteer who writes notes and prays for people I don't even know in a church I don't belong to. I'm the prisoner who is defined by the Google search and what it shows every time you look up my name, and yet the person who sits in his cell with a changed heart because the Spirit has moved. I'm the friend who always remembers the anniversary of the event that changed your life, the one who answers the phone no matter what. Who do you say that I am? I'm the one with a dream. I'm the one who dreams that all God's children will one day come to know what is right, what is just. I'm the pastor who confesses that as often as he gets it right, he gets it wrong. As often as she witnesses God's justice and grace, she also ignores and walks away from the ones who most need it. Who do you say that I am? I'm the one willing to suffer, Jesus says, even to die, so that others might live. I am the way, the resurrection, and the life. I am. Maybe that is really what the gospel's theory of everything boils down to, those two words. I am. Friends, because God is. God is. The question stands for us today, the same question Jesus implied for Peter and the disciples all those years ago. Because God is, will you follow? Will you follow?